Welcome to the Sisters of Industry podcast with hosts Laura Brown and Jen Williams, where the goal is to help you work harder, lean smarter, and live life better. Where one bloodline and different industry experiences will provide new insight to make you more effective at work and play. Our mistakes will help all of us laugh and learn. Get ready to lean in, lean out, and possibly snort coffee out your nose as they talk about all things business, leadership, and life. Let's go. I'm Jen, and I have balanced a checkbook maybe once or twice in my life, and I thrive in a world where the Chick-fil-A app stores my debit card for easy use. Sorry, Mom. I'm Laura, and I fully trust that my children won't use my fingerprint or my face while I'm sleeping to go on a spending spree on, you know, all the websites. Today, we're completing our series on trust. We've talked about earning trust and giving trust, and today we want to cap that conversation with a look at what it takes to keep trust. Call us crazy and idealistic, but the sisters think character wins in the long haul every time. Well, I'm grateful we have one more week in this trust conversation. And I think it'll be like a lot of the things we've talked about, Laura, where this is a theme that will come in and out of lots of times. But I think that we discovered, I'll even put the two of us on the hot seat, especially in our conversation about giving trust, that this is a big topic. We we do a little bit better when it comes to earning trust and knowing what that looks like in our cultures. But when it comes to giving trust, we're really taking a leap. And so today, as we just wrap around that conversation on how do you not only earn trust and give trust, but then keep a level of trust, which is so important because you're really building a platform whether it's at home or at work, um, to do so much more. Because once trust is established, there's really, you know, you take the ceiling off in a major way of what you're able to accomplish and how you're able to work through things. And so, Laura, I have been really interested listening to you talking about Malcolm Gladwell's newest book, Talking to Strangers, which I haven't gotten my hands on yet, mostly because I'm waiting for your copy. But you, you've been reading this book and talking about where he goes even historically with the idea of taking trust leaps like Rachel Botsman talks about. He, I'm sure, uses different language, but then how that plays out um, over the long haul. So can you just talk a little bit more about that? Because I think it's so incredibly interesting. Well, Jen, I think one of the things that's really resonated with me as I read this book is even as we did the first two segments or um, episodes of this trust series, we have this inclination to believe that earning trust, gaining trust, even the way we give away our trust is a really hard process. And one of the things that struck out to me in the opening parts of Gladwell's book is his reference to a study that was done by psychologist Tim Levine at the um, University of Alabama. And in that study, Levine talks about something called a truth default series. Um, And what I want to point out here is that whole concept of defaulting 
Um, in his work, this psychologist really comes to find that people have a tendency to default to believing others and to expecting the best out of other people. And I bring that up now as we start to approach this whole concept of keeping trust, because I think it's really important for us to realize that while we take very seriously earning the trust of others, there is a reality that folks have a tendency to give trust actually pretty easily um, and even want to give their trust away. And really our job in keeping trust is to deserve what we were given so readily. Um, there's one particular thing that I'm just gonna go ahead and read directly from the book because I couldn't say it better. And here is how um, Gladwell sums this up. We start by believing and we stop believing only when our doubts and misgivings rise to the point where we can no longer explain them away. So there's two things in that. We start by believing, by trusting someone, by believing they are giving us truth. And the other thing that's really interesting is where he says we can no longer explain away. Part of what he really gets into in this is that sometimes it doesn't take just one or two data points to make someone pull back on their trust. They people will actually try to reconcile away those data points to a fault and keep trusting in you. So part of earning trust um, and then keeping trust is just saying, how do I protect what I've been given and not be so egregiously horrible that people have to rethink how they approach me. So it's just, it's really interesting to me, Jen, because I think we think it's a fragile thing. And yes, trust is fragile and important, but we actually have a really big opportunity in front of us um, to hold on to people's trust and just do the right thing. Which is, uh, which is fascinating because it's not what I would think, honestly. I mean, I, I wouldn't be inclined, if you didn't say that and there weren't research to back it up, I wouldn't be inclined to think that that's our default setting. And yet, even thinking back historically, and I know you've got an illustration there, but just going back historically to where part of the reason people have gotten away with, in some ways, really terrible things is because people led with trust. And it took so much to be convinced that there was something sinister going on under the surface. And I mean, I'm referring back, of course, to the classic example of Hitler. Hitler um, got a long way in the world because it took some people a lot longer to to lose trust in what he was doing on, you know, outward facing. Absolutely. Um, if you go and read and actually Gladwell goes into that in this part of the book, if you go and look at how Hitler rose to power and started to slowly take over um, and invading countries and taking political control, um, he repeatedly lied to politicians um, around the world. And one of the most famous persons that was frankly just outright duped by him is um, Chamberlain, who met with him on multiple occasions and came back and reported that all was well and that he could be trusted and that he had a very specific, narrow focus in what he was trying to do and that he would then stop. Um, all really interesting things. So listen, I don't want to continue to just get too um, too deep into this Gladwell book, but I will tell folks, if this is piquing your interest, um, I would highly recommend getting a copy of that book or downloading it and listening to it if you're ever allowed to drive your car a long distance again, um, <laughs> you know, and taking time. I know you can even get it from your library over some of the download audio apps. Um, take time to listen to it, particularly the first part. It's very relevant to what we're talking about here with trust. And I think it'll give everybody a chance to just really reflect well on not only this concept we previously talked about in giving our trust away and how readily we do it, but then also how fragile the trust is that we've earned so easily. 
Okay, so that really points to what you and I have circled around on with the idea of keeping trust is it comes down to consistency and investment. So, you know, people are going to give us trust or we're going to give somebody else trust. And then the question is, will that trust be proven again and again with time? And are we willing, you know, to take that leap and then see how it plays out? And to me, I go back to with that then the the conversation and I kind of threw this out a little flippantly in the last conversation we had about trust, but the illustration of the banks. And I know that this one's kind of a hot button thing right now. And so for some of you out there, and I know we have a lot of small business owners that listen to this. And so stick with me for just a minute, because right now banks are in the center of a a big piece of what's happening right now. Um, Congress rolled out two, um, at least at the time of recording here, (laughs) I don't think there'll be a third, but at the time of recording, Congress has approved two, um, two payments to part of the stimulus, which is the payroll protection program loans. And one of the things that struck me in that process is on the front end, it put banks in the middle of how we were going to recover as quickly as possible from our current circumstances and the impending recession we see ourselves walking into. Whereas in 2008, banks were more or less at the center of the cause of what had gotten us there. And because of that, with all the mortgage controversies and the bundling and everything else, banks lost trust. People lost trust that their banks were leading them in good directions. And after that, banks, especially the bigger banks, had to work really hard to A, show that they could be trusted and then be consistent again and again and again. And at least from where I'm sitting, and again, I know people are in different seats. What I've noticed the last few weeks is we've seen a clear divide between the banks that are working really hard to help secure loans for their clients, knowing that with the forgiven, you know, the forgivable pieces of all of these things, banks aren't going to see a huge benefit from these loans but they're working awfully hard on the front end to help get them. And so we're seeing this really clear divide between the banks that have decided that they're going to be consistent in showing up and earning the trust and being there for their clients versus doing whatever's best for them and not caring when it doesn't matter for them. And so that's why I said, for those of you, that this is a very um, rough conversation right now. For some of you, you've been banking with um, with an organization in a bank that has left you a little high and dry when it comes to some of these loans because they know that it's not that much of an advantage to them. And so I guess to wrap all of that around an idea, Laura, what I'm trying to get at is the consistency of keeping trust is also how willing are you to um, to stake your reputation even when it's going to cost you? Even when you don't stand for the immediate gain, are you willing to be consistent in saying, we want to help you, we want to partner with you, we want to work with you? And I think I'll carry that a little further to use the phrase sacrificial. Um, I think that there is an opportunity sometimes in a trust relationship to really confirm that someone has placed their trust well by 
by being a sacrificial partner. Sometimes you pay a claim to a client that you really maybe don't have to, but you're showing goodwill, um, which might be a less dramatic word for sacrifice, right? But, mm-hmm. or less dramatic notion anyway. Um, showing goodwill, being willing to sacrifice for the relationship, being a personal, professional, a literal, a financial, whatever type of relationship, being willing to put some sort of sacrifice forward in order to show your commitment level is really important. And I think that takes us to the whole concept of when we are talking about keeping trust that we've been giving, it time and time again will come back to the concept of what is the character that you bring to the trust relationship. Are you a person or an organization or a group of people that embodies character that someone wants to be connected with will you give sacrificially do you show up consistently do you make commitments and stick to those commitments all concepts we've been covering the last few weeks that speak to who and what you are and making sure that those characters align to stay in a long-term committed trust relationship that's exactly true in 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 my opinion anyway and I've always loved how Carrie Newhoff says it when he says competency gets you in the room character keeps you there so if we're going to talk about gaining trust you know sometimes you get in the room pretty quickly based on your competency and your reputation and then if you're going to keep trust it's going to be your character it's going to be proving again and again and again that you're willing to be a team player that you're willing to be sacrificial like you're talking about and you know again i know that sometimes there's just you know too many book references <laughs> but one of the better books i've read in the last decade is David Brooks' book, The Road to Character. And if you're not familiar with David Brooks' writing, I know that he's definitely a love or hate him kind of um, opinion editorial writer. But in um, his book, The Road to Character, he kind of took a more personal, almost look back as someone who's farther along in his career of the absolute importance of character. And he gives so many really good illustrations of exactly what we're talking about. So I highly recommend that as a as a character read. So Jen, I think we've gotten to the point where probably the number one thing that I'd ask our listeners to take out of this is we've reached this point where we're trying to keep a trust. Think about who you are. We will always come back to this on this podcast. Who are you? Why are you that person? And making sure that you keep continuing to that. And if you know what that is and others know what that is, trust will come naturally because they'll understand what they align themselves with before they ever get into the relationship. And you will continue to come back to that. And the only other thing I'd like to add is just making the note that we will all mess up. Trust is fragile But it's also something that can be saved when you're willing to acknowledge the mistake, as we talked about on our mistakes episode a couple weeks ago, or when you're willing to admit when you are unable to handle a situation or you made a mistake or even that you did break a trust. I mean, we have all been in situations where someone broke our trust. And the best way to save that situation, if you want to, is to admit you broke it and to recommit to not letting that trust be broken again. And sometimes that pure admission is all it takes for someone to keep their trust in you because they know you will call things as they are and not try to hide them. And again, that brings us back to this character concept, but I think it's so important for everyone to just remember that being open, honest, and direct is a great guiding light to help you always navigate through the trust situation. 
Yeah. So I think to to sum that up, I think what we're saying is that keeping trust really comes back to consistency, investment, and character. And the bottom line of, are you willing to do the work? Does it matter to you to be a person that can be trusted and an organization that will be trusted for the long haul? So in our next segment, we're going to um, put a bow on this trust conversation, so to speak, and, and go back and look at the, the big picture of all of this trust. <laughs> on today's Real Talk, we want to have a little fun discussing the fine line that exists between trust or control. As you've heard us mention on several occasions, one of Laura's many side hustles and passions is planning a vacation. And when Laura plans a vacation, she doesn't leave much room for error. So Laura, where do you feel yourself dancing on the line between trust and control? Listen, I think that there is nothing better than someone who wants to be in control. And (laughs) you just need to trust that. I offer to control you as you delightfully tour Disney World. What more could you want? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. When we planned our Disney vacation as a family several years ago, I asked you early on in the planning process because I didn't want you to feel like I was not participating and contributing to the work, but I also knew you well enough to ask up front if you you wanted that or if you just needed me to say yes, ma'am, and receive the papers that you mailed for me to print and put in the binder that you bought for me to be ready for said <laughs> trip. <laughs> Listen, was that not the most organized fun you ever had? <laughs> it was. It was a fantastic vacation. It was so well planned. Um, and there were only a couple of occasions where we, um, different members of our family, tried to suggest um, modifications or spontaneous movement where you had to jump in and encourage our trust once again. <laughs> I have to be very clear. I am a lot of fun. And the reason you plan Disney and other things is so that you can relax and have fun when you get there. So I would like to defend myself. However, I will tell you, <laughs> one of my best memories ever took place at Epcot. Jen, I don't think your family had arrived at this particular vacation yet. Um, and we get in the gates of Epcot. So it is my family, the five of us, um, with mom and dad. And dad is just a huge fan of the ride Soren, like most normal people in America are. It's the <laughs> coolest thing ever, right? And this was the original Soren before they changed it the other year. He wanted desperately to just go straight to Soren. I mean, like kept wanting to break right of Spaceship Earth. And I kept looking at him and saying, Dad, we're going left this morning. We're going left this morning. <laughs> and I remember like just looking at his face and thinking, oh, he might kill me. And I had to stop and say, Dad, I need you to trust me. We're going to have a great day and you're going to get on soaring soon. And it's going to be even better because you didn't wait in a line and because you had so much anticipation leading to it. And I do remember at the end of the day, him acknowledging that all was lovely and wonderful, but it was very awkward because I was definitely like, we were definitely doing the trust control game um, in the middle of the happiest place on earth. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I can verify that your level of planning made it exceptional. And I trust you to plan all future vacations um, when we journey together. So well done. That's some real talk. Jen, I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks as we've spent time talking about trust. And I think um, it's worthwhile to just kind of go back through it. I'd like to do two things. Let's summarize. And then I think there's also a place where we can acknowledge that 
um, our view of the world has changed in the last few weeks. So we started recording this trust series um, before the COVID pandemic mm -hmm. and are finishing it right in the midst of it. And I think that um, for a lot of us, there's a before and an after that's significant and that colors a lot of what we do. So I don't want to rewrite anything we've done, but let's summarize for our listeners what went down in trust. And I think there's one or two places where it's worth just making a note about the new perspectives we've gained just in the last few weeks as leaders. Start oh, yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that because it has it has shifted. Like right now we're trusting strangers to to know and be on the same page about things. Absolutely. I even think about the fact that, um, you know, the whole concept of to wear a face mask or not to wear a face mask. Um, and when this episode goes live here in a couple weeks, maybe that will be an issue solved. But as you and I sit here talking to one another today, um, I don't know if I should wear a face mask to the grocery store or not. Um, and I'm counting on all sorts of elected officials, most of which do not have medical degrees, um, mm -hmm. to sort through the literature about a virus that's not entirely understood and help me understand what to do, right? It's really interesting time to try to understand who to trust. And I think that helps kind of go back to the whole concept where we started this trust thing, which was earning trust. How do we earn the trust of others? So right now, um, if you are a medical professional in a whole different day and age, maybe someone who's never done a press conference and now you're giving one daily, thinking Dr. Amy in Ohio, the new national favorite, um, how do you earn the trust of others? Jen, can you remind us a couple things we talked about? Yeah, well, and that immediately thinks makes me think of the conversation that I got to have with Sam, um, who continues to be out on the front lines as one of our healthcare workers in the midst of all of this. And he was able to share with us how he doesn't get a lot of time with patients before they head into surgery. And one of the things that he said he always does is he makes sure he has all the information and doesn't once have to look at a chart. Like he would never walk into a room and ask a patient, what's your name, right? He wants to walk into a room and call them by their name because the patient needs to know automatically that he knows what he's talking about and he's done the work, which are the two big things we talked about with earning trust. And I think the same thing is true as we watch these press conferences and we watch these doctors come to the mic and we didn't know them before. So in part, we're trusting the work we've done via their credentials, right? Like they studied here, they have these titles and everything else, but they need to immediately establish into the microphone that they know what they're talking about, that they have information on hand. I know for me, I've felt so much better at the press conferences where I've watched people very confidently answer questions and not read from a from a press release. Um, oh, I need to know that they yeah. know what they're talking about and that they're looking at a camera since they can't look right at us and they're talking to me. And so those were two of the big things we talked about with earning trust. And I do think we're seeing that play out. And the other one I'd offer really quickly is we talked about the fact that earning trust involves transparency. And I think one of the interesting things about the season we're in right now is, you know, do we trust that the political officials and the health officials and the people making these decisions are sharing with us all the information that we ought to have? And um, and it's just an interesting conversation because it plays so much into our level of trust and our level of willingness to adhere to what's being asked of us in these, you know, just very new and different times. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And even to the point about transparency, I have seen one or two things um, in the last few weeks that have reminded me how important it is to say, I don't know, but let me get back to you, or this is all new information. Um, sentences like that are okay. And we talked when we, in our initial episode on trust, we talked about the fact that one of the things you need to do is be transparent about when you don't know as well. And I've seen that happening, and I have a lot more respect for the people that are willing to say they don't know as opposed to backing into an answer that might be wrong or could be misleading, right? So I think there's so much that we're watching happening around us. It's actually an interesting reflection for us, I think, right now to think about how we're placing our trust and for all of us to reflect on um, as we're trying to earn the trust of others, whether it's earning the trust of our employees, that we're giving them good guidance in a difficult time like this, um, or just even steady state normal life, whatever that is now, mm -hmm. right? Helping people know that um, they can count on you. You're going to keep showing up. Right now, showing up looks different for all of us. I'm not showing up on your doorstep to show you I care or showing up <laughs> in your office door to see if you need to take a walk and burn some steam off, right? Right. But showing up is saying, you know, I'm going to be on Skype every day. And if you need me, you jump on and we're going to talk, right? So um, earning trust, it's a really great concept. I would encourage everybody to reflect on the last few weeks and think about what we've shared with you on this podcast about how to earn trust and also what um, activities around us have taught us about trust the last couple of weeks. And ask yourself, what am I doing to show up, to be transparent, to be consistent, um, to earn the trust of others around me? Yeah. So Jen, um, from there we go to giving trust, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this was the hard one. We joked in real talk today about a controlling nature of one of the <laughs> sisters on this podcast. Um, one of us is controlling and the other one likes to be in charge to decide which is which. <laughs> Isn't it really both of us like to be in control and be in charge? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so giving trust is really hard yeah. when you are a person who likes to be in control. And I think we just have to acknowledge that. Um, we reflected a couple weeks ago on the works of Rachel Botsman, who really has a lot of great things to say about this. And in particular, one of the things that stands out to me is that concept of taking the trust leap and being willing to trust others. Jen, your thoughts or reflections as you think about this concept of giving trust? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing I thought about after we had that conversation and even in reading Rachel's work is I was thinking about the work dynamics I have and I have a, a staff that that I really do trust across the board I have an incredible team that I get to work with every day but there's one person in particular on my team and we'll have him on this podcast here sooner than later I'm sure but he and I have worked together the longest and there was a point in our organization's history where he and I were the only two on staff and I was thinking back to what it looked like to be at a place where we didn't have a lot of history. In fact, his first Sunday working for our church, um, he led worship having never been able to worship with us before he started. He's our creative arts and worship director and he does all that kind of stuff. And it was, it felt like a tremendous trust leap. And at the time our organization was young enough that I, I didn't have a choice. I had to trust that we had done this interview process and he was going to be great. And, and, 
I didn't have anything to ground that on other than those conversations. And so took that trust leap. And so reflecting on that years later, though, there is such an implicit trust and an ease to the way that we work together that was born from those moments where where those trust leaps were taken and then over and over again found to be well-grounded and well-placed. And so now the enormous level of trust at the top of our organization is a big part of the reason that I think we um, we we do well. And again, I want to take us back to the current time that we're in with COVID-19. We had to make a lot of rapid changes, that rapid innovation that you and I had talked about. And that trust underlying those kinds of decisions when we were having to react quickly was huge. Jen, I think that's true. And I know enough about you and the staff that you lead um, and have gotten to observe you from different angles over the years. And I think what you've also done, reflecting back on that staff relationship um, and friendship with he and his family, is um, you build a culture of trust around your organization. And it's actually fun to see some of the members of your staff that haven't been there as long because you've created that the way they can come in and they're given trust and and. You, the give and take with trust that exists in your organization. I think it's really important in what you do, but it's also a very nice culture you've created around. We're going to, we are going to assume positive intent. We are going to trust one another um, in order to be most effective. And I think for any organization, that's a really great thing to strive for um, as you work together. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that, but it, and it, but it is definitely an intentional thing. And I feel like I throw out these cultural values that we have a lot, but one of them is believing the best. And when you can lead with that, especially when it's not instinctual <laughs> to believe the best, right? Our instinct is to fill in the gaps on our own. But when you have a culture that says, no, we're going to choose to lead with trust, you do create room, you know, to, to give a lot more trust than you might have otherwise. So Jen, taking us to our final and third piece of this trust concept, I want to just make sure we reflect back on the earlier part of today's episode where we talked about keeping trust. And really, to me, that conversation comes back to just very quickly three really core things. It's commitment. Are you in this relationship? If the trust is broken, are you willing to commit to fix it? Are you willing to commit to openness and honesty? Um, so commitment. Um, are you bringing character to the relationship and by character not only do i mean good character but i mean consistent character strong character and a character that aligns with the person that you're trying to share a trust with um, i think that's really really important and then finally consistency um, consistency in who and what you are is so important to trust even if it's a consistency in being willing to say i'm sorry a consistency into showing up um, a consistency in how you fix mistakes or how you um, bring new opportunities to the table openly. Um, those things are what's really important about keeping trust. And I think for all of our listeners as they walk away today, I hope that they're really hearing from us those really core elements about, um, about just showing up the right way all the time. 
No, absolutely. And the only thing I would offer there is just if you're looking for a really great illustration of that whole threefold piece of consistency and investment and character, we're going to have to link to the specifics in the show notes because I, I didn't, I don't have them written down in front of me. But even as you were recapping that, all I could think about was a story I heard recently about a man and his family who moved into one of the roughest neighborhoods in the U.S. and they did it intentionally and they did it very much on mission but um, in the story and he does a really compelling interview with Donald Miller on the story brand podcast but talks about the fact of what it looks like to lead with trust but how it, it it's worked for them and they've been able to now do what they're doing in this toughest, roughest neighborhood for over a decade because they have continued to show up and do it in a sincere way where the people that don't deserve their trust are getting their trust. And then as they walk that road together and make an investment that just can't be questioned, right? It's an investment that's a, nope, I moved my whole family here to this neighborhood. I am in this. This isn't a short-term piece. I'm in it for the long haul. There's such a big piece of trust to that. So anyway, we'll link to that in the show notes because that's just the the illustration, I think, of a story version of what we've tried to express in keeping trust. So I think um, earning trust, giving trust, keeping trust, none of them are easy. We will come back to them time and again on this podcast because currency um, or a very important currency, I should say, in our world is trust. And we need to use it right. We need to understand it. And we need to respect that there's a lot of emotional and important investment that people give of their person when it comes to trust. We hope you've all enjoyed this series. Um, thank you again to Sam Tripp for joining us to talk about trust early on. I think he's just a beautiful example of what it means and to be a trustworthy person um, time and time again. If you missed that, go back and check out that episode if for no other reason than to hear a Mickey mickey mouse impression that is one for the ages um and we trust that you'll all take some of this information put it to great use in your industrious lives and join us again for our next series starting in a couple weeks it's time to take a trip down memory lane and today we're gonna drive down memory lane <laughs> but um boom it was a reach, but it was awesome. Today, I want to talk about the trust it takes to enter driving when you turn 16, 16 in Pennsylvania, whatever the age might be in your state um, that you all live in. 15 but I'm gonna... here. Oh, sweet Lord. Move now. Move now. Wow. That's yeah. terrifying. It is. It is. So now that I'm over that tear, I'm getting my heart back into a normal rhythm. Mm -hmm. It is 16 where I live in Pennsylvania, where you and I grew up, Jen. So we were both 16 the first time we got behind a wheel. I think this is the ultimate act of trust. Yes. It's for a parent to say, hello, 16-year-old child, who I sometimes have to remind to put on deodorant. It's now time for you to drive a car. <laughs> Jen, do you remember the first time you got behind the wheel? I'm going to guess it was dad in the car with you. Absolutely. And you know for certain that it was dad. And what I 
I remember so very clearly is that we went out in the garage and I remember thinking to myself that I would have felt so much more comfortable if dad had gone ahead and backed the car out of the garage before I started to drive. But dad wanted to, you know, he took a, he took a trust step and he thought, nope, if you're going to drive this thing, then this is where it parks and you got to get it out of here. And so he told me to start in the driver's seat. And so I got in the driver's seat and then I went to put the key in the ignition and he stopped me. (laughs) And I thought, oh, have I messed up already? And he stopped me and he said, no, he said, before you turn this on, he said, I want you to understand how powerful this machine is that this machine has the power to kill someone else and to kill you if you don't take seriously the responsibility of being in this driver's seat. And I just remember till he got finished saying, um, however he said that, I'm sure more eloquently, part of me was like, never mind, never mind, (laughs) I'm happy to not drive. But he really needed me to understand that this was a huge trust thing, that this was a big responsibility, and I needed to take it very, very seriously. And so that's the biggest thing I remember. The other thing I remember is the first time that we got a little bit of ice and snow. Dad threw the keys at me um, in an intentional move of, you got to learn this too. So there's a whole other story to that that I'm going to save for a future memory lane when I'm sure it will come up again. But I want to flip this back to you, Laura, because I know you have a story about learning with dad as well. But I'd rather hear about the fact that you are sitting very close, as in by the time this episode airs, you will have a 16-year-old. How you feeling about trusting her with your car keys? I'm feeling very <laughs> uncomfortable. I thought, I thought I'd maybe so even seriously, lost you. <laughs> no, I had a minor heart attack sitting right here in my chair. The palpitations are real, people. Um, you know what's really funny? And I think this, has a, this says a lot about how trust builds and about relationships. Had you said to me five years ago you know, Liza's going to be 16 soon. You're going to put her behind a wheel. I would have been very dramatic. I know I was. These are conversations, right? Even a year or so ago. And as the moment gets closer, it's amazing. And I think, you know, to some degrees, this this is God, right? But um, I think that I'm ready. She's ready. And you kind of see a transfer between the two of you um, where you know there's enough mutual trust and you're ready to take on something big like this. So I'm looking forward to putting Liza Jane behind the wheel. I actually think it's going to be interesting. Um, when this episode airs, it's hard to tell what could be going on for sure because <laughs> the poor girl is, um, everybody has their stories about how the stay-at-home orders and the COVID crisis are impacting their lives. Liza Jane will hit the big one six um, during our stay-at-home order, which also means the DMV will not be open and issuing oh, learner's no, permits. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so after waiting all these years for this exciting moment, she is going to have to continue to play Mario Kart and trust that she is honing her <laughs> skills ha 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 right seriously oh oh that makes me sad gosh there's so many things with this that just aren't right but you know what Laura I think I think you're exactly right I I think she's ready while it's crazy to think that our sweet little Liza is ready to do that she's just not little anymore and it is trust that she's earned so I cannot wait though for the stories of you and John behind the wheel with her as she learns Yeah, the question here is who yells first, not if there will be yelling. So it'll be fun. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Memory Lane Moment. Thanks for going on a drive with us. (laughs) 
thanks for listening today. We have so enjoyed this series on trust. We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. And as always, we want to say thank you for listening. It's a big deal to us that you trust us with your time and that you're willing to spend some time with us. And so if you're listening and you're loving it, want to encourage you to tell your friends about it, leave a review, help get the word out. We want to continue to be part of this conversation for a long, long time. Thanks so much. Sisters, business, what can go wrong? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sisters of Industry. Join us weekly as Laura and Jen reflect on their shared upbringing and divergent life experiences to draw out lessons to help us all lead and live meaningful, industrious lives. <laughs>